Hi, this is Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. Uh, it's getting near the end of the year, and uh, what I did last year was to tell you some good books, apologetics books in different areas, and I thought maybe this year I'd just tell you about six or seven of the favorite books that I read this year. Not necessarily that they're brand new books for 2023, but just I found them really interesting. One's a slightly older book. Actually, a couple of them are, I guess. So I'm going to do, I think, maybe three for this podcast, and I'll do the other four for the next podcast. And uh, if you like them and if you are interested in them, we got Christmas coming. You can put the word out, either something for you or something you want to give to somebody else. So here we go. Uh, book number one, J.P. Moreland and Tim Muehlhoff. And I don't see how you could go wrong. Anything by Moreland is good. Anything by... Those two make you think in a good way. So I would encourage you to consider the book. It's called The God Conversation. And this is one of those that's not a particularly new book. Uh, it came out in 2007. But the subtitle gives it all away. And this is why I like it so much. Using stories and illustrations to explain your faith. And I'll tell you the reason I like that is um, I'm a teacher myself. And I know if I get real philosophical with a class, I lose them. If I tell them a story about something I went through or friends went through or something like that, I can see their eyes starting to come back. Uh, they, <laughs> they've, uh, they lose their glazed look. So we can capture people uh, by telling them stories, by getting them to think about illustrations for some of our points that we're trying to make. And in fact, they indicate that in the beginning of the book, they said that uh, if people are talking to each other and they and a person walks away from that conversation, it says they immediately forget half of what was said. That's incredible. And it said a few hours later, uh, they only remember about 20%. Well, I'd vouch for that again because of what I experienced in the classroom. But what makes up the part they do remember? Illustrations, stories, quotations, examples. And so... I use this book right now in our apologetics class because, again, when I do my PowerPoint, I can show illustrations, and all of a sudden you can see people going, ah, okay, it clicks. It's got a great value. I, I love this book. Now, I think I mentioned before, the only problem with it is that some of the illustrations they use, not all, but just a few of the illustrations they use, are out of date because it came out in 2007. So they'll reference something that was big in 2007. But if you read it and you decide you're going to use it in the classroom yourself, you're going to talk about it, you're going to share this with others, you can come up with your own illustrations. I do that. I'm doing that with the apologetics class. I'm using about half of this book and substituting some of the older, out-of-date illustrations with uh, things that are in the news now. So just to give you an idea, I think it's so powerful the way it's organized. What they do is they, they don't just say, hey, come up with some good illustrations. They say, okay, here are the issues that people have these days about Christianity. Uh, probably five defeater beliefs, they call them, that, that could stump Christians. And so here they are. God can't be good. I mean, there's pain and suffering in the world. So that's how they start out. That's the first part of their book. And isn't that a big issue? Of course it is. Um, I was just talking to a lady the other day, and uh, I was speaking at a different church, 
And she came up afterwards. She said, what would you say to somebody whose child has walked away from the faith? And I said, well, first things first, uh, see if you can get the person who's walked away to explain why. And this lady said, he said that it's uh, pain and suffering, evil and pain and suffering in the world. Okay, so there it is. So they spent two chapters having you come up with some illustrations and examples to show why you can have a God and you can have a good God, even in a world of pain and suffering. So that's the first defeater belief that they say is out there. It could defeat our Christianity if it was true. Number two, Christianity can't be the only way to God. You've got Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Jews, and they're sincere. So that's huge, isn't it? That's religious pluralism. We're going to be talking about that this Thursday to our apologetics class. All roads lead to God. You ever heard that one? Yeah, me too. Here's a third issue that they said you're likely to run into as you talk to people. Oh, come on. The biblical accounts of Jesus rising from the dead, they can't be trusted. That's legend. That's, that's a lie or it's a legend. It happened so long ago. Who knows? And number four, you can't judge another person. There's no ultimate sense of what's right and wrong for everyone. Does that sound familiar? That's relativism. You ever heard that? Yeah, that's just your truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. Yeah, so I like these four things that they're going into. And then number five, arguing that God made each of us in his image can't be true. you got evolution. That's a fact. We don't need God anymore. That was just the old days when we couldn't understand how things worked. So there are those five topics. I think they're powerful. They're, they're, they're good all the time, even with a book that came out in 07. By the way, there's an advantage to a book that came out in 07. It means it's likely to be available used, so you might be able to pick one up really cheap. So there they are again. God can't be good, pain and suffering, number two. A lot of roads lead to God, number three. The resurrection, can't believe that. Number four, relativism, nobody's got truth. Uh, number five, uh, God hasn't made us in his image. That can't be true because of evolution. So those are the five areas that they present their illustrations, their examples, their facts. So I like it a lot. I think if I have time, I don't know. Well, okay, I'm going to just for a second. I'm going to show you one example, but I'm not going to go into detail on it. I just want to show you what they try to do. So they start off and they say, in this one chapter, this is talking about religious pluralism. Hey, you've got the all roads lead to God situation that you're going to hear from people. They'll say that Muslims are going up one road to up this mountainous road, but they can't see anybody else. So they're trekking their way up and uh, around the edge of the mountain where they can't be seen is another group. And these are the Buddhists. And then you got the Roman Catholics. You got the evangelical Christians. You got Jehovah's Witnesses. You got Hindus. On and on and on. They can't see each other, but they're all trekking to the top. And at the top, there's God. So that's religious pluralism. So I'll, I'll let you read it sometime to see how they talk about that and show the problems with it. But I love what they do. They say, once you kind of have uh, dismissed this idea of the mountain paths, that maybe you could come up with a different illustration to show the complexity of religions said, why not review it? And this is what I really like. Why not review religions like it's a maze with paths that head in different directions? And they give you an example of one in Hampton Court near London. It was planted in 1702. It's a third of an acre. And the paths, as you get on them, are half a mile long. And it says, you got a huge choice here. You're trying to get to the center. 
But what's going to take you there? Well, some routes head you toward a dead end. Others take you deep in the maze, and finally they quit. Some run parallel to each other, some of the paths, and all of a sudden one hits a wall, but the other one keeps going. you got to find the one path that leads you to the final destination. I just think that's an excellent way of thinking about religions these days. But I won't go into the details because all I'm trying to do is just tell you this is a book that you might want to consider. Okay, so that's one book. A second one. It's called No Reason to Hide by Erwin Lutzer. No Reason to Hide. Subtitle, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Is it just me? Every time I look at a newspaper or I look at a headline on the internet or something, I cringe because it just looks like our culture is getting darker and darker. You've got diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, that says this is how you're supposed to treat people. And of course, a lot of that goes against biblical standards. You've got critical race theory that is basically reverse uh, racism, but that's getting full bore now. Uh, you've got transgenderism, taking kids and mutilating them and filling them full of all sorts of chemicals to destroy their genders. Um, and I look at this, and, I, and, and men getting on women's teams, men coming into women's bathrooms and changing in front of the women that are trying to change, and just all of this stuff is so sad. And uh, so here comes this book, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And I love the comments in here. Um, let, me, let me take you to the opener here. This is Dr. Tony Evans, who's the president of the Urban Alternative, senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. He said, what does faithfulness look like in our collapsing culture? And he says, Lutzer, with biblical insight, deals with issues regarding collective demonization yeah, race, propaganda, and the sexual revolution and its destructive agenda. And he says, he, uh, Evan says that Lutzer is obviously concerned that the evangelical church is compromising its message. It's, it's fallen into going along with the culture, and it's a wake-up call. And I think it's so important. We've got to confront the culture today. We nod and we smile, and we just let it run, run its course. It's, it's really sad to see. In uh, At the beginning here, the, there's a man who gives the foreword to the book. And he said, we often act and react as if the climate of our culture is the most critical factor of the day. It's not. He says, the world's the world. Uh, it's kind of stupid to think that non-Christians are going to think and act like Christians. He says, the world is going to bow before all these golden images. He said, the problem is that the church is stooping when it's standing time. I love that. The church is stooping at standing time. And then... Uh, he says Lutzer's book urges, urges Christians to ignore us to bow the knee. Uh, we've got to ignore that siren music that tells us to bow the knee to false gods. And Lutzer says, look at the time we're living in. And so he addresses contemporary philosophical uh, changes from the Christian perspective. And so I think this is so, I mean, I just can't stress it enough. This is so important these days. His first chapter is called Surrender, Sink, or Swim. He said, we're dealing with a climate that's, that's gotten rid of the idea of tolerance, which is to put up with different points of view. Now, we're told, you better share our love of fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is. You got to join the revolution, baby. You got to get on board. You got to get on the right side of history. And so a lot of people say, well, okay. 
And he says, we don't find truth anymore. People are not objectively searching for truth. It's just an individual choice. And he said, with all these ideologies, you can't question them. Ideology, he says, even trumps science and known facts. Exactly right. Uh, I, okay, I'm not going to use this time to get into, into some of those facts, but well, let's just take the area of biological facts. That's being tossed out the window. Now, if you feel like a female or you feel like a male, somehow that trumps the biological facts of your body and your DNA. What, what is with that? Why is your, your thought, how did that become more truthful than reality? We've gone away from reality. This is becoming an irrational society. Okay, well, that's just me on the soapbox here. So here are some of the things that he's going to talk about here. He said, we're probably going to be rejected by the culture. We're going to be demonized. And he said, uh, we have to watch out about diversity, equity, and inclusion that I mentioned he says, can we get beyond our history of racism and stolen land and con collective guilt? What about the language that's being used by the propagandists? What about the Christian left? How are we going to deal with them? What about this idea of a gender-neutral society? And then really importantly, our children. They're being indoctrinated, which is actually going to lead me to my third book here in a minute. Uh, we have a great global reset going on. And it says someday politics, religion, and economics can be united under one global ruler. Yeah. And he says, what about suffering? Is that coming for Christians? I'm afraid it is. So this is a book that's challenging. It's, it's not, what, how do I say it? It's not fun to read. I mean, it's hard to read because it makes you uptight a little bit. But I hope it makes you feel like I need to challenge this. I can't let this go. I've got to protect my kids if I've got kids at home. I have to be able to talk about these things at work, to share some of these ideas with others. So that's a real challenge. I thought it was an excellent book. Now, the third one that I want to talk about is one that does deal with what Lutzer is talking about, which is what are we going to do with our kids? Are we going to let them be indoctrinated? No, no, no. Are they being challenged? Oh, yeah, I feel so bad for parents these days. We've raised our two, and they're out in the world, and they have their own kids, and I really am concerned because of things like what, what school is teaching them, what television teaches them, uh, what they get uh, on, their, on their phones when they're talking to each other. I mean, there's so many bad messages out there, and parents are having to deal with all of this. You talk about challenges for kids. So... Here comes a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. Hillary Morgan Ferrer is the general editor, but they have a bunch of writers as well. Um, let me share with you some of the writers. you got Hillary Morgan Ferrer, Julie Luz, Hillary Short. We've got um, Rebecca Valerius. We've got um, Alyssa Childers uh, doing a couple of chapters there. So a lot of good women. I'm so grateful that there are women that are taking up the challenge as well. I used to think of apologetics as sort of a guy's field. It seemed like that's all you saw in it, but thank you women for coming forward now. Um, let me just share with you what Jay Warner Wallace says, that cold case detective, former cold case detective. He said kids today have more, can have access to more information than ever before, including objections to Christianity and the existence of God. Yeah, that's true. It says young people encounter skepticism way before they enter 
universities and colleges while they're still living at home, which is great. He says that's why we as parents are the most important apologists our kids will ever know. How's that for a challenge? We as parents are it. We're the starting point. We're the most important of all the apologists that are out there. So when I ever, whenever I talk to a group, I'm just hoping that they take up the challenge and they go home and make a difference. Um, now, it could be a really, really serious book, right? I mean, it sounds pretty, pretty heavy. But here's one of the things I love about the book. It's lighthearted. So, for example, on the uh, acknowledgments page, it says we all want to thank our amazing husbands. Now, it's plural because there are, you know, probably eight authors here. So they named the husbands for the way they supported us, et cetera, et cetera. We're honored to be called your beloveds. And then a parenthesis, each individually, not collectively. This isn't a cult. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny way to get this thing started. Um, and even the chapter titles, <laughs> Calling All Mama Bears. My kid has a Cheerio shoved up his nose. Why am I reading this book? <laughs> Here's another chapter, How to Be a Mama Bear. Is this code for being the weirdest mom on the playground? Here's a third one. The Discerning Mama Bear. The Refined Art of Chew and Spit. <laughs> so thank goodness they, they realize it's a, it's a tough road and we've got to have a little joy along the way as we try to work with our kids. The foreword is by Nancy Piercy, wonderful writer herself. And uh, she's talking about people that she's run into and she said, a lot of people are really not that interested in apologetics just for their own sake, but they're adults and they're kind of settled and, you know, whatever, they've taken care of questions they had, but they're really interested in helping their kids stay Christian and that their kids face tougher questions than any previous generation. And I say, yes, so true. And uh, she said, well, we can't rely on what we know to pass on to our kids. We've got to listen to the kids, and we've got to find answers for their questions. And she says mothers are especially well-equipped well to do this. It says effective apologetics requires empathy. Let me just throw a comment in here, too. I think that's so true because apologetics has often been just a head issue, you know, just knowledge and just fire hose of information at people, like that's going to convince them. But the, the older I get, the more I realize we've got to have empathy. We've got to care about people. And uh, Piercy says, you've got to be willing to listen to the other side, to understand where the questions are coming from. What ideas are my kids picking up? What are the cultural messages that they're turning into? What are the assumptions behind these views? And she says, it's not too early to get started. Piercy says, a friend's eight-year-old son the other day asked his parents, people with other religions believe they're right about their gods. We believe we're right about our God. How do we know who's really right? Wow, that's good. That's really powerful. So our church is doing a good job these days getting our culture uh, figured out and helping our families deal with the antagonism that's out there. Well, I hate to say it, but I think in general, churches are not doing a good job on this. Well, thank goodness books like Mama Bear Apologetics comes along. And by the way, I think I mentioned this when I covered it in a podcast, but this book is for anybody. It may say Mama Bear Apologists, apologetics, but I'll tell you, Papa Bears need to get involved in this too, and you'll learn a lot, male or female, as you read this. Really good book. So there are my three for right now. We'll do four next time. The God Conversation, No Reason to Hide, and Mama Bear Apologetics. Those would all make excellent gifts for Christmas time.
All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll do another podcast soon.